listening to Connection Church's podcast. Good morning. How's everybody doing? All right, good, good, good. How are you feeling today? Stay up too late? Some of y'all don't look happy. Everybody smile. It's going to be good. We're going to have a good time. I'm excited about today. I'm excited about this message. And uh, I've been trying to contain myself all morning. I've probably been a little obnoxious uh, with people. So they may be tired of me already, but I've been really excited about this message and kicking off this new series. So um, we're going to actually be today in Acts chapter 2. We're going to look at verses 1 through 13, and in just a minute we'll read verses 1 through 5, and then we'll go back and look at those. But we're going to go through the first 13 verses. Uh, In this series, T-minus, we're looking at how the church uh, really, um, at the the day of Pentecost, which we're going to learn more about today, uh, is really when the church began to be launched uh, w- through the Spirit of God. It's when, it wasn't when the church was created, but it's when the church began to be launched. And you see the power of the Holy Spirit come into the lives of these believers and really begins to continue the ministry that Jesus had started. And so it's cool to see that like Jesus, when he died, uh, he, was ro- he was raised to life, um, that his ministry didn't stop, but it continued uh, as the Holy Spirit gave power to the people um, that, that were Jesus's followers to continue this on. The last few weeks, we've been looking at different uh, series and different cultures that are important in the church. Last, the last three weeks, we looked at how the church is unstoppable, but there are also um, hindrances to the church advancing. The next three weeks, we're gonna be looking out of Acts chapter two um, and looking at how the church is called to go and to evangelize and specifically how we do that. Where do we get the power to do that? Um, and we're gonna be talking about that a lot today. So what I want you to see is that the last, really for six weeks, what we're gonna be doing is sort of hovering over the book of Acts and then zooming down into different sections um, as we look at different parts of this early church and, and the movement that we're called to continue. So I hope you'll be excited about that. Uh, we named it T-minus because we feel like uh, this is the launching point of the church. This is where the church really began to take off. And so um, our prayer is that that would happen in your life. Um, our prayer is that that would happen uh, even more so in this church. And our prayer is that it would continue uh, in the church, the big C church, outside of this one, in this community, in this country, and in this world. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn to Acts chapter 2. Uh, we're going to read 1 through 5, and then we will uh, pray, and then we're going to jump in. So here we go. Acts chapter 2, 1. It says, when the day of Pentecost came, it's going to be very important in just a minute. We're going to see why it was the day of Pentecost. That they, It says, they were all together in one place, all the disciples gathered in. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now, there were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word. Thank you that it's powerful. I thank you that it is active, that it plunders our heart, that it changes our heart, that, God, your word uh, gives us life. Lord, I pray that it would be powerful to us this morning as we talk about um, you. God, I pray that what we read and what we study today, God, would happen in our lives. We may not hear wind and we may, God, not see tongues of fire and we may not all speak with tongues, God, but I pray, um, God, that you would move in a mighty way. Lord, as always, I, I pray, God, that this would not be a good service and not even a, just a good message, but God, that it would come with power. Let it not be just with uh, some persuasive speech, but let it be with the power of uh, your spirit. In Jesus' name we pray, amen, amen, amen. Excuse me just a second while I get me a little water. So I asked on Twitter and Facebook this week, asked you a question and some of you responded, I appreciate that. Um, What is the most redneck thing you've ever seen? How many of you in here would be honest enough to say that more than likely you are a redneck? How many of you would be honest enough to raise your hand? Yes, you'd be honest enough to say it. Some of you are in denial. You are a uh, closet redneck and you know it and you didn't raise your hand. And so, uh, and, and the reality of it is that uh, we probably all, if we're from the South, uh, from South Georgia specifically, we probably all have a little redneck in us. Um, and so I asked you like, what's the most redneck thing you've ever seen? And I came up with about three that I thought were really, really good. And so I'm gonna ask them to put these pictures up of these three right here and that is one of my favorites right there that is awesome Uh, you know have you how many of you ever heard of a brazilian steakhouse it's like all you can eat meat right they just keep bringing you meat until you can't eat any more meat and you actually have to flip a card from green to red so they stop bringing that's a redneck brazilian steakhouse right there 
you got a deer, you got, well, you got a toilet because that's what you would need after you ate all that, right? But you got a deer, you got chickens, and it looks like there's some kind of contraption for some type of goat or something like that. So you got all kind of meat right there. The second one is this one, is a toilet, but not just any toilet. This is actually in the yard of somebody not very far from here. And, and it's not only, it's, this is a true story, this is, it's not only a planter, you see the flowers in the top right there, but it's not only a planter, but if you get thirsty while you're planting your flowers, it's also been made, it's kind of hard to see, into a drinking fountain that actually operates. And so you can literally drink out of the toilet if you get thirsty while planting flowers. And so that literally exists in a house near here. And here's the last one, you know, I, I don't really know what to say about that other than that is definitely redneck. I don't even know what kind of car that is, but I know it shouldn't be on those tires. And um, somebody, uh, yeah, big redneck uh, did that. And so I asked our worship team, some of our creative folks one time, I was like, you know, I'm kind of been wondering this and you know, I don't know what you think, but do you think that I'm just like a regular person who likes to do some redneck things? Or do you think that I'm, or am I just a redneck? And they're like, you're pretty much a redneck. And so I was like, okay, I guess that answers that question. But, uh, and I'm not ashamed of that. Like I, I love, uh, I love, you know, being a redneck, it's fun. And so anyway, the reason I tell you that, and the reason I think, because there's typically not a net, there's not a real positive connotation, right? That comes with uh, redneck. When we think about people being rednecks, much like myself, we don't think about them as being the most brilliant people in the world, do we? Um, we think about them sometimes being pretty dull, uh, you know, not, think, not being real sharp. And, and the reason I tell you that is because the people that we're about to read about, and we're gonna study today, they were from a place called Galilee. And basically, as I studied this, most every commentator that I read made the comment that the people from Galilee were like the rednecks of their day. I mean, it's, it's kind of funny. I don't know like how they knew that. I don't know if they carried dead deer on the back of their camels. I don't know how that worked out that they knew they were rednecks. But the thing was, evidently, they weren't like the sharpest knife in the drawer. You know what I'm saying? And so they, these were the rednecks of that day. Um, these were uh, the people though. Listen, this is, this is how crazy it is. God's plan, God's great plan was, let's get a bunch of rednecks together, fill them with the Holy Spirit, and then use them to change the world in eternity, right? That's basically what happened. You see that in, this, in the Bible. We're actually going to read about this, where God took the Galileans, who nobody thought much of at all, and he uses them to change the world. And he gives them a great purpose, he gives them great power, and then he sends them out on a great mission with the greatest message the world has ever heard. And it's absolutely incredible. It's incredible to see. And it gives me great hope that rednecks can be used, amen? That's right, rednecks can be used, all right? And so here, as we look at this, I wanna break this down to you today, these 13 verses, into three main takeaways. I got several different things I wanna say underneath each one, but if you don't get anything else, I want you to get these three things and then the application at the end. The first one that I want you to get is this, that every person has a purpose. Every person has a purpose. And I want you to see this. And we see this as we look at the significance of the day of Pentecost. I told you that the very first part we read, it says when the day of Pentecost came, that that was going to be very important. And we see in the significance of Pentecost that God um, has a purpose for us. So I want you to remember this, that every person a purpose. So that you sitting here today, and if you're in Christ, you, you, you are a believer and a follower of Jesus, you have a purpose in the kingdom of God. And I want you to listen to this verse again, and, and let's, let's look at these verses, and I want you to see this. It says, when the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. You see how specific this is? There was an appointed day that God had appointed. There was an appointed time that God had brought them all together, and there was this appointment, this divine appointment that God comes in and begins to meet with them. He begins to do something in them. I want you to understand, people, that today is a divine appointment for you. For some of you, listen, you had a divine appointment years ago. And right now today, you are a spirit-filled believer. You have trusted in Jesus. You have the spirit of God in your life and, and you've, you've, you've experienced that. But the thing that I realize is that for many believers in here today, uh, your divine appointment is a refreshing in God. Because it happens to everybody, no pastor or preacher is immune from it, that sometimes our relationship with God can grow stale. But God has a 
appointment for you. He brought you here today, not by the ac- by accident, but by design so that you could be refreshed in him. Not so that you could do a duty and just check it off your list, but so that you could encounter the living God, so that the spirit of God could once again refresh you. And see, because you have a divine purpose, God has a divine appointment for you to be filled with his spirit on a daily basis. It's not something that happens once. It's something that happens throughout our life because here's the reality. We need to be constantly being filled to the point of overflowing so that it flows out of our lives and into the lives of others. I want you to see this. One of the reasons that this is significant, one reason that Pentecost was significant is because it was a divine appointment. For other people in here today, you're not a believer. You don't really believe um, that Jesus is who he says he is, that he did what he said he would do. But the appointment for you is to hear the gospel, is to hear and know that Jesus did um, take your sin to a cross, that Jesus did die the death that you should have died, that Jesus did get buried and was in a tomb for three days. But three days later, he did rise and he does sit at the right hand of the Father and he does make intercession for those who would call upon his name and he does save those who would call upon his name. And today, your divine appointment may be this, that you hear the gospel, you realize that you need Christ in your life, you say yes to him and you then begin to be filled with the Spirit of God, your heart begins to be changed to be more like God's and you're given new desires for God. And so each one of us in this place today have a divine appointment. For some of you, listen, believers, you, you, you may be in a, a sweet spot with God right now and your cry this morning is, Lord, don't take your spirit from, let me just grow closer and closer and deeper in, 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 in this relationship with you and in intimacy with you. Let me stay in this sweet spot, Lord. I want to run after you. But each one of us today have this divine appointment. The day of Pentecost was a divine appointment for them that they would experience the fullness of God's spirit like no one in human history had experienced when they were filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. And so I want you to see that one thing is we all have a purpose. Every person has a purpose. And we see this in this significance, God brought each one of us to a divine appointment with him. Isn't it cool that God's able, he's big enough to orchestrate all of our lives to bring us into a divine appointment with him? How amazing is that? The second reason that Pentecost was significant, so the main point, every person has a purpose, and we see that it was significant on the day of Pentecost because of an appointed time. We also see that it was significant on the day of Pentecost but because of an agricultural holiday. Pentecost means 50th. It was 50 days after the Passover. And so what they would do is that the, the uh, Feast of Pentecost or the Feast of Harvest, um, what they would do is get together and they would celebrate the first parts of their crops being harvested. It was during that time of year that they would begin to harvest in their crops. Now I want you to see how all of this is gonna tie together in just a minute. And so what God is saying when they were celebrating this, they were celebrating the faithfulness of God that brought to them this harvest and they would take in this harvest and they would celebrate. It was called Pentecost or the, 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 the Feast of Harvest. It was a harvest festival. So you thought churches did that so they wouldn't have to call it a Halloween carnival, but it was actually because of the harvest festival, right? And so it's not really, but the, the reason they would do this is to celebrate that first part of the harvest that would come in and celebrate God's faithfulness in the harvest. This was important. This is going to be important for us to understand fully what Pentecost meant um, as we understand that it was bringing in the harvest. The third reason that Pentecost was significant is that it was historical. So we're seeing that we have this purpose. We're seeing that Pentecost, and this was not just something that Luke happened to throw in here, but it was important. Um, One, because it was a divine appointment. Two, because it was an agricultural thing that they did in a celebration. And three, because it had historical meaning. See, on the day of Pentecost was when the Jews celebrated the giving of the law. In other words, when Moses went up, had a quiet time with God, God gave him the Ten Commandments, and then they began to, he began to give other laws and things that they would follow. And the day of Pentecost was when they celebrated all of that taking place. They would celebrate Moses on Mount Sinai, the giving of the Ten Commandments, the law. And, and for all of these hundreds of years, These Jewish people have been trying to live according to that law. They've been trying to live according to that rule. They've been trying to make themselves right in the eyes of God by following all of these rules. How did that turn out for them? Anybody know like how that turned out? Like not too good, right? I mean, that's how it turned out, not good. 
They realized they can't make themselves righteous by simply following rules. They couldn't couldn't fulfill all of God's laws. They couldn't basically like this. They couldn't make themselves like God apart from God. But we try to do that often ourselves. But they realize this and the value of the law, see the law could make us righteous. It's just we can't do it because it's weakened by our flesh, by us. But the value of the law is it points us to the fact that we need a savior. We need a righteousness that comes not from what we do, but from what Jesus has done. And so in the book of Romans, we learn about this righteousness that's been given by faith in Christ. And we see what Jesus did on the cross gives us our righteousness, not following these laws. But I want you to see what specifically happened on the day that the law was given. See, Moses is up getting these laws, getting uh, these Ten Commandments. And, and as he's up there, the people become restless. The Jewish people become restless. And if you're familiar with this, it's in Exodus chapter 32. And, and, and the people become restless. They look at Aaron, Moses' brother, um, who was Moses' right-hand man. And they look at him and they go, you need to give us a God. Aaron gets a little nervous. He kind of freaks out. These people might kill me. They might do something. And I kind of agree with him. So let's do this. Y'all bring me all your gold earrings. Take them out of your ears. Let's drop them right here. He throws it in the fire. He takes it out. He begins to sculpt it into this calf. He pulls the calf out, this golden calf. He sets it before him and he goes, here's your God. Right? And and they begin to worship him. And then God tells Moses, Moses, I'm just going to kill him. (laughs) I'm just going to kill him. Moses is like, no, remember what you promised God. And God's like, I know what I promised, but I would, would like to kill him. And so then Moses is like, no, don't kill him, don't kill him. And so he goes down and they begin to hear the, the worship music play. And they begin to hear the festival taking place, the worship of this, this golden calf. And when Moses sees it, he becomes so angry. He throws the tablets down, they break. And he goes and he, he begins to, to, to just really rebuke them hard. He even takes the golden calf and grinds it, grinds it up, puts it in water and makes them all drink it. It's like kind of like getting your mouth washed out with soap, I guess. I don't know. But he makes them actually drink the water with the golden calf in it. And then I want you to hear this part because it's pretty important for us to get an understanding of Pentecost and that every person has a purpose and what that purpose actually is. Exodus 32, 25, it says, Moses saw that the people were running wild. They'd lost their minds, in other words, and that Aaron had let them get out of control and so become a laughingstock to their enemies. Look, people are looking at them and going, Moses is gone for a day and y'all are flipping out, losing your minds, already turned your back on God. So he stood at the entrance to the camp and said, whoever is for the Lord, come to me. And all the Levites rallied to him. All the Levites, that was one of the tribes of Israel. It was the priests of Israel. Then he said to them, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says, each man strap a sword to his side, go back and forth through the camp from one end to the other, each killing his brother and friend and neighbor. The Levites did as Moses commanded. And that day about 3,000 of the people died. You see, that can seem kind of harsh, but when you think about the reality that because of their sin and because of our sin, everybody should have died. But what God's going to show us hundreds of years later in the book of Acts, turn back there, is that he's got a different way. See, on the day that the law was given, 3,000 people die. But here's the thing that we see historically. These people are coming into Jerusalem to celebrate this feast of Pentecost, this, this time of getting together and remembering the law being given. But they also know that when the law was given, 3,000 people died. But then we read where the Spirit of God comes. Peter stands up, and we'll look at all of this more later uh, in, in weeks to come. And, and Peter stands up, begins to preach, and then look over in verse 40. I don't think this will be on the screen, but, but I want you to hear this. It says, with many under other words, he, meaning Peter, warned them. And he pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted his message and were baptized, about 3,000 were added to their number that day. See, this is a historical thing where, where God is showing us that the law can't bring life. He's saying that life comes through the spirit of God. And as you look at this, what you begin to see is that God is showing them that a right relationship with him would not be reestablished by following rules, but by following a person and his name is Jesus. It wouldn't be established by obeying rules, but it would be established by simply putting our trust and our faith in Christ and a righteousness that we could not attain and a righteousness we could not earn would be given to us. And we need to see this and we need to understand 
understand that on the day of Pentecost, God took those three things. He took that appointed time. He took that historical context and he took that agricultural meaning and he brought a great harvest of the first souls that would be saved through the church. You see how all of that worked together, that on that appointed day, that that, that, that harvest came that they'd been celebrating for all those years and that the power of God began to move and they began to come to life through the spirit of God in a way that they could not do on their own. Isn't it pretty awesome that God does that sort of thing? That God shows us through all of this history and he brings us to this one appointed time. Actually, you can go read about it in Joel chapter two. And he says, I'm gonna be a day when I'm gonna pour out my spirit on you and you're gonna come to life. Thank the Lord for that, right? That, that, that we didn't leave it up to us. Just work your way up the mountain. Maybe you can get to me knowing that we never could. And so he shows us a different way, a righteousness and life that comes through faith. And when we put our faith in Christ and we trust in him, we are filled with the spirit of God. Our hearts begin to change. We do have a different uh, direction because we turn or repent from our old way of life. We do have a different way of living simply because our hearts been changed and we take a new direction. Doesn't mean we're perfect, but it does mean our desires begin to change as our heart has been changed by God. And I want you to see that you have a purpose. Every person has a purpose. You have a purpose that if you're a believer, you have encountered God through a divine appointment. You had a divine appointment because you had a divine purpose. So God wants you to see this. The day of Pentecost shows us that we have a purpose. Here's some other ways that we see this, that God wants to use us to bring other people to life. He wants to use the church to bring other people to life. Listen, let's read verses two through four again. Suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house. Listen, read that with me. And filled what? The whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that had separated and then and came to rest on who? On each of them. What's the next verse start with? Verse four. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. And so what I want you to see is that another thing we see that's significant in these first four verses and another way that we know every person has a purpose is that this is all-inclusive language. See, see, there would be reason to elevate Peter to a place above everyone else if only Peter had received this Holy Spirit. There would have been reason to elevate John above everyone else or Jesus' mother or whoever else was there if only they had received the Holy Spirit. But what does the Bible say? It says the whole house, each of them, all of them, each one of them had this appointed time to experience God's life coming into them and experience what God was going to do through them. And so it wasn't just one of them. The whole house was filled. Why? Because the whole group, each person had a purpose that each of them uh, saw tongues of fire and had tongues of fire on their head. Why? Because each of them had a part to play in the kingdom of God. It tells us that all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with tongues. Why? Because all of them had a part to play in the kingdom. It wasn't something that was exclusive. It was inclusive to the whole body of believers. That's why everything's not done by the pastor. It's done by the whole body of believers. It's because we're all called and every one of us have a purpose. Now, I want you to see how this works out in our life. Because typically what happens when we read those first four verses, those of you who've been around church for a while, you know this, you know that most of the time when we read those first four verses, the whole text becomes about speaking in tongues, doesn't it? And so what we begin to hear is a message on tongues. But if all we focus on is the gift of tongues, then this is what we do. We miss the importance of the whole text. Now, I want you to know tongues was important on this day. Tongues is an important gift today, right? The, the tongues is important to people. It, 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 it can be a very valuable gift to the church. It can be a very valuable gift to individuals. But if we just focus on tongues in this text, these languages that they were speaking, then listen, we miss the whole point of this text. Because what God wants us to see is this in all of these things. First of all, I can honestly say I've never been in a worship service where I was sitting there and a great wind came through the worship service unless the air conditioner came on and I was standing by a vent. Only time I've ever felt like wind came through the worship service. But you know, fire, I've never really seen fire on somebody's head. If I did, I would have tried to put it out. I'd be like, what in the heck's going on, right? And so I've heard tongues. I've been in services with tongues, but it's not been in every worship service. Here's 
here's the thing I want you to understand, that while the experience of wind and the experience of fire and even tongues may not be common to our experience, what should be common to every believer's experience is what they represent should be common to every believer's experience, to our experience in church, to our individual walk with God. And I want you to understand what those things are. See, this wind came in and it wasn't like a gentle breeze. It was the sound like the blowing of a violent wind. Think tornado. If you've ever been in a tornado, you know how powerful and how violent that can be. And I want you to think about the power that's wrapped up in a tornado. And this is what's blowing through these people. See, the wind represented power. And specifically, it gives us boldness. The Spirit of God, He comes and gives us boldness to go and to proclaim this message and to live this message out even in the face of persecution. The Spirit comes and He gives us courage to take steps of faith that might seem crazy to other people, might even seem crazy to us, but we know that the Spirit is giving us courage to take those steps. And He gives us a confidence in God knowing that God will take care of us. And He gives us His confidence because we trust in His ability, not our own ability. And so the Spirit of God God comes in power and this wind represents the power of God that comes into our lives, that power that you can feel at the core of your being and that we need to fan into a burning flame in our life so that we can do the things that God's called us to do. How many of you, you actually enjoy conflict? Anybody enjoy conflict? Like you don't mind getting up in somebody's grill. Go ahead. You can raise your hand. It's not like a sin if you enjoy conflict, but, but might be how you handle it. But the thing about it is, like, listen, by nature, I'm not that guy. Like some people just don't mind. They're just like, I'll get up in their face. I don't care. You know, but I'm not that person. By nature, I don't like to, to, to ruffle the feathers, right? I don't like to, to, to cause disruption. I, I, I'm the peacemaker. I'm the one that wants to smile and try to smooth it all over. But something happens when I preach God's word. I, I just know what God's telling me to say, and I try to do my best to say it. I'm not perfect at it. I'm not the best at it. I just try to be faithful to what God tells me to say. And something happens on the inside of me that gives me a boldness that I don't normally have. And so I'm able to proclaim God's word, and I try to speak the truth, no matter how offensive it may be. And here's the reality of it. I go home every Sunday, just so you know how my Sunday afternoons go. Not that you care, but I'm going to tell you anyway. Here's the thing I would tell you. I go home and I replay both messages through my mind. And half the time I'm sitting there when I think about what I said and I'm doing this and I'm going, oh my gosh. Oh, they're going to be picking in my house this week. Oh, they're going to kill me, right? I'll even make noises. We'll just be riding down the road and I'll go, oh. So he's like, what's wrong? I'm like, nothing. You know? And I was like, oh, oh, ooh, I said that, oh, right? Why, 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 why couldn't I have just said she was the evangelist of Samaria, not the whore of Samaria? Why, right? Why? And, and, and then, you know, it's, it's just the way it is. But the Spirit of God will give us boldness to do things that we normally might not do. He, he works in us in that way, giving us boldness, courage, confidence, uh, the confidence of God, Right? The second thing was the tongues of fire that rested on their head. And and, and I believe that that fire represented the purity and the consuming nature of God. And see, what's awesome is that God comes and he begins to purify our lives. He gives us righteousness. He gives us purity. And then he begins to work that righteousness out of us. He begins to purify our life. And our lives becoming pure means they begin to look like Jesus. We begin to grow in his likeness. And so this fire, this consuming fire of God, as Hebrews 12, 29 says, begins to consume our lives, even consuming the old dead life that was, that was in us and giving us a new heart that we began to live out of, that, that new life that God gives us. And I want you to see this, and I want you to hear this. This has been on my heart all week. I want you to hear this, that it's not only the purity that he gives us, but he also uses his spirit to remind us that he's made us pure. And some of us in here, because of our past, need to hear that if you are in Christ, you've been made a new creation. I see so many people that have become Christians, and yet they struggle with their past. They struggle with things. Don't you know that God has separated those things as far from you as the east is from the west? Don't let those be a hindrance to you. Don't let something that no longer 
longer has a hold on you, continue to drag you down and hinder you from running the race that God has laid out before you. If you are in Christ, you've been made pure, you've been made right, and if you'll just follow him and hold on to him, he'll work that out of you. But don't think that somehow you're damaged goods. There's no such thing as damaged goods in, in God's kingdom because God is big enough and powerful enough to take what's damaged and make it whole. And so we don't need to walk around thinking somehow we have to keep our head hung down. I got something in my eye. For the rest of our lives, when God's made us right with him, he's made us pure through Christ. Now, if you're not in Christ, then you're still where you were. But the reality of it is in Christ, we have this ability to become pure and to have that worked out of us. The, the, the third thing that we see is that, that they spoke in tongues. And see, tongues is a spiritual gift. It's a gift given by God. And every person has a purpose. So every person, remember, has the power of God within them. If they've come to Christ, they've been purified and are being purified by Christ. And they've been given gifts to be used for his kingdom and to fulfill that purpose. This gift was given to all of them. You've received a gift. If you're in Christ, you have a gift to be used in the kingdom. It may be being used here in church. It may be being used here in the community. And listen, listen it's easy for us to talk about being servants and, and going uh, into kids or, or going in helping with youth or parking cars in the parking lot. All of those things, immensely important. Um, coming in and setting up, whatever it might be. But what if God's calling us on the mission field? We're going to see in a minute that this message wasn't just for one area. It was for the whole world. But what if God's calling you to take that step of faith and to go? What if your gifting is the gifting of a missionary to be in Africa? What if your gifting is the gifting of a missionary to go to Iraq? What if, listen to me, parents, your child's gifting is to go to one of those places? Are you going to hold them back? Or are you going to pull them back and launch them like an arrow into their destiny and into their calling that God has for them? I got three boys I love. I would rather you cut my arm off than put one of my children in danger. The thing I can tell you is if God calls them to go, I've got to launch them to where God calls them. See, they're, they're, they've been given to me to steward, but they're God's children. And they have a purpose given to them by God. As hard as it would be for me, what greater honor than to know that your children are living for God, even to the point of being willing to risk their lives. Would that be hard? Absolutely. But do I know that God has a purpose? Yes. And see, we're not called to live for this life anyway. We're called to live for the life that's to come. And that's our hope and that's our peace and knowing that even when God asks us to do difficult things, that he's going to bring us through and that we have a home in eternity that's going to surpass anything we could possibly imagine here on earth. So here we go. Glad you like that. The second thing I want you to see and I want you to understand is that every nation has a call. God's calling every nation. So every person has a purpose. Every nation has a call. And I want you to hear these verses, 5 through 11. Now that we're staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment. So they're all like, what's going on? Because each one of them, each one heard them speaking in his own language. So they're hearing them in all these different languages. Utterly amazed, they asked, are not all these men who are speaking rednecks? Right? Then how is it that these rednecks are speaking to us in our own native language? Parthians, Medes, and Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs. We hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own language. See, here's something that's really, really important. Every person, if you go all the way back to Adam and Eve and you go back to their children and you begin to see um, who, who, who mankind originated from, the, they, those people are represented in each of these names mentioned. In other words, he's saying that the whole world is to hear this message. It's supposed to be multiracial. It's supposed to be multinational, multicultural, from different backgrounds, from different histories. And the, the good news about it is no one is excluded from responding to this message. And every person is supposed to hear it. 
So here's the thing that bugs me is when our church is, is not multiracial enough, it's not multicultural enough, it's not multinational enough. We had a, a girl from China get saved a few weeks ago and get baptized. I was like, praise God, we got an international ministry. And, and it really wasn't an international, it was just the fact that we got to see somebody from another background, another culture come into our church and experience God in a way that, that, that they were able to, to, to respond to the gospel. And this should be our, our heart and our hope. And listen, if it's not our heart and our hope and somehow racism has, has gotten a hold of our hearts or, or we somehow have become bigots about where people come from, the thing we need to do is repent because if we don't like those things now, we're not going to like heaven very much either. And so we need to come to a place of recognizing that. The only other thing I wanna tell you about these verses today is that it talks about the Parthians, Medes, Elamites, and the residents of Mesopotamia. And see, many of these people who were coming from those areas, they were Jews who had been taken there through the exile that had happened between six and 800 years earlier. In other words, because of these people's rebellion and because of what they had done and they're, they're turning their back on God, they got basically booted out of the Holy Land. And so now they're making a pilgrimage back to Jerusalem so that they can experience a worship in Jerusalem and fulfill their religious duty of attending this festival. And so they go and they're, they're there. But the thing that hit me when I read this this week, as I was looking at it again, it hit me how long God had been calling them. They had been in, in, in exile for six to 800 years, and yet God had not forgotten their name. God's still calling them. Think about that. In our rebellion, in our walking away from God, God still called our name. The great thing about it is God continues to pursue us. I told you I'm a redneck, and one of the things I love is I love dogs. Loving dogs that make you a redneck, but I specifically love hunting dogs. And I love to see hunting dogs because they get so excited when they smell whatever it is that they're supposed to be chasing. And they, they chase it with everything in them, right? And they, they just go after it with everything that they have. And, and I think about this all the time. There was actually a famous guy, I can't remember his name, but he called um, God the hound of heaven, right? And because God pursues us that way, isn't it awesome to see and to read and to hear that even after six, 800 years, when these people come and there's a divine appointment waiting on them and there's a harvest to be had and the power of God's about to bring life, that these people hear their name called after six to 800 years, God had not quit on this group of people. Ain't that cool? That is amazing that God never quits. God is still calling. And some of you, maybe you've wandered. Our hearts are prone to wander, but God is calling. Maybe some of you have never said yes, but this is what I can tell you. The hound of heaven is pursuing you. He's coming after you because he wants a relationship with you. Maybe today is the day you say yes and you surrender into the arms of a gracious and merciful God. The third thing, we've looked at this. Every person has a purpose. Every nation has a call, right? Got, they're being called by God. And every person and every nation has a message. Every person and every nation has a message. For the believers, it is a message that is to be spoken. For the nations who have not heard and the people who have not heard, there is a message to be heard. So every person has a message if you are a believer to proclaim. Every person has a message if you're an unbeliever to be heard. And every nation is to be gone to. And this message is the message of the cross and of Christ. Listen to the end of verse 11. It says, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them proclaiming or declaring the wonders of, our, of God in our own tongues. They were hearing the wonders of God. What were the wonders of God? It would be easy to say, maybe it was creation. It'd be easy to say, maybe it was this, maybe it was that. But what we have to know is it was the gospel that was being proclaimed because the gospel doesn't start with the birth of Jesus or even the cross. It doesn't end with the resurrection or even Jesus's ascension. The, 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 the gospel is as eternal as Jesus himself. Jesus is the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. And the gospel is God's whole story that's being written. So as they began to proclaim the wonders of God, and I don't know, it doesn't tell us exactly what they say, but I think it must have been something to the effect of, oh God, you created everything when the earth was void and it was formless. You created it by just speaking and you made it out of nothing and you gave us a good place to live, but God, we turned our back on you. But even when we turned our back on you, you didn't forsake us, Lord. You came to us and you, you began to draw us to you again and you spoke to our Father 
Abraham and you began to reestablish a relationship with us and you spoke to our, our, our leader Moses and you began to give us a way of righteousness through the law, even though we realize we can't make ourselves righteous through the law. You gave us the law and you tried to give us back our righteousness, Lord. And even when that happened and we began to fail, you promised through our servant David that one day there would be one who sits on the throne and who would never be removed from the throne. It would be someone from the line of David. And this line, this, this, this line, this, this sitting on this throne, this lion of Judah would sit there and that he would be the one who would rule and reign for all eternity. And then Lord, you sent Jesus, your servant, to come into the earth, to fulfill all of that, to fulfill the covenant that you made with Abraham for relationship, the covenant you made with Moses for righteousness. You, you fulfilled the covenant you made with David that someone would rule on your throne forever. And you fulfilled them all in Jesus and you wrapped them all up in him. And then he died and then he presented that gift to us as we say, said yes to his name. Oh God, would you let other people see this and would you let them fall on their knees and begin to worship you the way they should as they see what you've done for them. I believe that must have been something like what they began to proclaim on the day of Pentecost, all the wonders of God and what he's done for us. So he goes and he begins to proclaim, they begin to praise God, they proclaim this message. And we're called to go and proclaim it to all the nations. And see, it seems difficult. It seems like, how can we do that? How, how can I go? How can I fulfill this when, when I'm weak? I'm not strong, but see, God will be our strength. And I want to tell you very quickly, and then we're out of here. How does Pentecost become a regular part of our lives? I want you to see every person has a purpose. I want you to see that every nation is being called. I want you to see that every person and every nation has a message that's to be spoken and to be heard. And this is how you do this in your life. This is how we walk this out. This is how we apply this to our lives. How does Pentecost become a regular part of our lives? Number one, we ask in confidence. We follow God by asking in confidence. Luke 11, 11 through 13, Jesus is teaching on prayer. And he says, if you who are evil, you wouldn't, if your son asked you for a fish, you wouldn't give him a snake. He said, you are evil. If, if your son were to ask you for a loaf of bread, you wouldn't give him a stone. He says, how is it if you are e who are evil, meaning us, know how to give good gifts to your children? How much more will the Father in heaven give you the Holy Spirit, give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? And so we begin to see that, that, that we ask in confidence. We ask and say, Lord, just, just, just. Send your spirit. See, it's a lesser to greater argument. If we would do that, if we would give good gifts to our children, how much more will the perfect, loving, heavenly father? And we look at it, and number two is that we act in confidence. So we know that Hebrews 4, 15, and 16, they're true. We have a high priest, Jesus, who, who, who understands where we've been. He understands what we've been going through. He understands the world we live in. He understands those things. The Bible says that because of his sacrifice that we can now, Hebrews 4, 16, come boldly before his throne of grace so that we can receive grace and mercy in our time of need. What an awesome thing that we can come boldly before him so we can ask in confidence knowing he will give us his spirit. We can act in confidence knowing that we can come boldly before his throne. Even with what may be seeming to hold us back, we can go forward. Even with the sin in our life, we don't run away from God to fix the sin. We run to God so he can fix it. That's why Jesus went to the cross is to pay for that sin and overcome it. And see, I, I had to live this out. This week was one of those weeks where, yeah, man, I... I it was just one of those weeks, Joey talked about this last week, but he talked about the murmuring. There was just a lot of murmuring, right? Some from, from people around our church, some not. Just a lot of murmuring. And I could feel this, this persecution, this sense of, of people just kind of trying to come against, right? And it was kind of, I felt that staleness. I told you some of us in here are stale. And I felt that during the week, I was like, God, I just, I need you. I need you more. I need you. And, and this morning I was in the shower and I don't know why God speaks to me in the shower and in my truck. I don't know why. Maybe it's a redneck thing. But I was in the shower and, and God was just began to speak to my heart. And this is what he told me basically is he said, why don't you do what you're going to tell them to do? You mean kind of like live a message? Yes. Okay. And so I was like, God, I'm just going to come boldly before you and ask you for your spirit. I'm just going to come confidently before your throne and know that this is something you want me to have. I, I just know that you want me filled so that I can fulfill your purpose. 
And I just began to cry out to him. And I got in my truck and I began to drive and I had the greatest worship service in my truck by myself. People riding by me probably thought I was absolutely psychotic. But it was awesome. Why? Because I was communing with my heavenly father through the power of his spirit. We ask in confidence. We act in confidence. And we go. And listen, listen, listen. We ask in confidence. We act in confidence. We abide in humility. We abide in humility. So we know I can go. I can do that. I can talk to the creator of the universe. I can go into his presence. But it's only because of him. So here's the thing I want you to understand. The power of God and human pride cannot coexist. They can't. So how do we get rid of pride? I believe we have a clearer vision of Jesus. You remember John on the island of Patmos wrote the book of Revelation? The Bible says that when he saw Jesus, he had this vision, a clear vision of Jesus, and he saw that his eyes were on, looked like they were on fire, like they were ablaze. He, he saw that his feet looked like um, they were fitted with burnished bronze. He saw that his clothes were white and whiter than anything anybody else could have ever done or, or even anything anybody had ever seen. And the Bible says that when he had this vision of Jesus and he realized what he had done, and later he sees him and he said he looked as though a la- he was a lamb who was slain. And he realized what Jesus had done. He realizes more of who Jesus is, and it's says in the Bible that he fell at his feet as though he were dead. See, when we have a clear vision of Jesus and what he's done for our life, what begins to happen is we begin to be very humbled by that. See, here's the thing I want for you and I want for me. I don't ever want you to live in your past, held back by your past, held back by sin and the past of your life, but I never want you to forget where Jesus brought you because that brings worship and it brings humility and it sends us right back to the feet of Christ. So we're not held back by our past, but our past is actually those things that Satan would use to hold us back can actually be a springboard in our relationship with Jesus. Verses 12 and 13 says, amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said, they have had too much wine. So God's moving and you see, you're gonna see two groups of people here. They're they're all amazed and perplexed. And they say, what does this mean? And they don't even say that they're just drunk, right? If you look at the literal translation, it says they've had too much sweet wine. They're accusing them not of just drinking wine, but of drinking the cheap stuff, right? Rednecks. They had too much natural light, right? And they're accusing them of being drunk. And I was thinking about this. We know that 3,000 people were later saved, but then you've also got people who are saying they've had too much wine. Isn't it amazing how people can, two different people can see the same experience, the same thing and have two different opinions. The best way I know to do this and do this quickly, and I'm not gonna be gross about this, but it's through childbirth. I've got a friend of mine, a good old redneck boy, who he loves to hunt. He cleans deer, he can stick his hands in deer gut. It doesn't matter, right? But when he had his first little girl, the doctor had to escort him to a bench or the nurse had to escort him to a bench and have him sit down because he got, got pale and he was about to pass out. And then you, you've got him over here who's sick from watching this. And then you've got uh, the other person and people that I know who, who will say, it's the most beautiful thing I've ever seen. Talbert, oh my gosh, OMG, it's awesome. I'm somewhere in the middle. Like that's a miracle, but... A, I'd have been fine if they just said, here's your baby boy, right? <laughs> but, but we have two people with two different perspectives. And you know, that's what the gospel does. The gospel's divisive. One group, one person looks at it and goes, that sickens me. That's offensive to me. I don't want anything to do with it. And then you've got the other group, the other person that looks at it and goes, that's the most beautiful thing I've seen. That God would give his son for me, that I could live. And we immediately fall in love. And we immediately say yes to Jesus and we say yes to his heart. See, that should be a regular occurrence. Pentecost should be a regular occurrence in our life because now the spirit of God lives in us if we're a believer. And here's the thing I know, there are three groups of people. Some of you are believers who are in a sweet spot. Some of you are believers who are in a stale spot and some of you are unbelievers. You never said yes to Jesus, but you know you, you, know you need to, you know you want to. It's funny how many times we'll want that for somebody else, but we won't take it and accept it for ourselves. But maybe today's the day you accept that and you say yes. Right now, what I wanna do is I'm gonna ask our prayer team to come forward. I'm gonna ask our prayer team, you you guys come forward. Also, if you're a Connect Group leader, I'm gonna ask you to come forward. This is what we're gonna do right right here, right now today. If you're a Connect Group leader or if you're a a prayer team person, would you come, come down? While they're moving, I want you to look at me and don't be 
enthralled by how beautiful and handsome our connect group leaders and prayer team people are. But what I want you to hear is this. If you're in one of those places, I want us to pray for you today. Maybe today you're the believer and you're in that sweet, sweet spot. And what I'm asking you is that maybe you want prayer, that God would just use you. Maybe you're in a sweet spot, but you know you're facing a next step that that, that's not gonna be easy. But you wanna be obedient. We can pray for you for that. Maybe you're in that sweet spot and you just, in that place, you just wanna thank God for where he's got you. I'm gonna ask you right now, right now, right now, because see, this is a family. I'm gonna ask you that you get up and come and let these folks pray for you. Would you get up right now and just come? Maybe you're in a sweet spot. It's, it's great, that's a great thing. It's not arrogant to say, man, I'm in a good spot with God and I want him to just use me. Come, you wanna be used. Maybe it's your cry is this. It's the same cry that Isaiah had. Here I am, Lord, send me. Send me, Lord, send me. Maybe, and I believe many of you are believers in here today and you're in that place where it's kind of stale. You've just been in this place for a while where it just doesn't feel, you know, just doesn't feel alive. But you know that God, you know that God doesn't want you to stay there. And today is a divine appointment for you to be refreshed. Maybe there's a sin in your life and you know I've got to get this sin out of my life. And today is the day that you repent and times of refreshing come upon you. I'm going to ask you right now, would you get up and come and let us pray for you? Would you let, let us pray for you that there would be times of refreshing? Listen, it, it's just a time where maybe you feel stale. Maybe you just want your relationship to be taken to another level. It's a time of obedience. Maybe your first step is responding to God the way he's prompting your heart right now and not being stiff-necked and stubborn. For another group, there's unbelievers here who you know that God's calling you. You know he's calling you. You never said yes, but today's the day that you would say yes. And listen, if you're in this group and you say yes to him today, please don't leave without letting us pray with you, talk to you, and help you take next steps in your faith. But this is what I'm gonna ask you. Today you don't know it, but you'd say, yeah, I need to say yes to him. I wanna say he's drawing me, I feel it. That's what I'm gonna ask. Would you get up out of your seat and walk down here and let us pray with you? Let us celebrate with you your response to the gospel. And let somebody down here meet with you and pray with you and let us take, help you take your next step. If today that's you and that's your response, would you get up and begin to move down here as you respond to him? Well, listen, this is what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna pray. It's cool to be up here and hear people praying for each other. That's really, really cool. I'm gonna pray for you and then we'll be dismissed. And today, if there's something you need prayer for, but you just haven't come down yet, when I pray and I say amen and you guys begin to leave, listen, y'all come down and let us pray with you. It's not too late, man. There's no shame in this. This is about the kingdom and it's about family. You come and let us pray. I'm gonna pray. When I say amen, you can move. Lord, thank you for loving us and for your grace, the power of who you are. Lord, thank you that we can unite together, bound by your Holy Spirit and comfort one another, love one another. God, thank you for the boldness of people who take that step. God, I know it's hard, especially maybe when we've been out of church or away from church, Lord, maybe foreign to us. God, I thank you that you would move us to move closer to you. Lord, send us out in the power of your spirit. God, I thank you that every person has a purpose. Every nation is being called. And God, we have a message to proclaim and a message that needs to be heard. So we thank you for that. Give us courage and boldness to go and do it. In Jesus' name, amen.